Father, we are so thankful for the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come today and to pray and to sing and to study your word. And Lord, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to do it. And Father, I love what Hannah shared earlier about how sometimes we just, Lord, we get comfortable, we get complacent in our relationship with you. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and really evaluate how we are coming and approaching the very throne of God. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every individual's heart this morning, whether they're sitting in this room, whether they're sitting at home watching online, or whether they watch or listen in later on. God, I pray that you would touch the very core of our being this morning and remind us of what an incredibly worthy and amazing God that you are. Help us not to be complacent, but God, help us to truly seek your face and to put our hope and trust in you. God, I pray that you would touch us today, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and God, that you would be with every one of our church people who aren't able to be here. Father, I just want to lift especially Mr. Ted up to you this morning as he's still struggling with surgeries and health issues. And God, I pray for Miss Margie and some health things that she's going through. Lord, lift up Mr. Ralph as he lost his sister this past weekend. Lord, just touch them and guide them. Be with all of our other people who've just had some ongoing stuff. Lord, touch them today as well. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful to be here. And I pray that we would not take it for granted, but God, we would truly seek your face this morning. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. I do want to say a special thank you to Pastor Edmonds and uh, for filling in last week as I was battling the flu. Um, we It went through every one of us, but my poor wife, I don't know what's worse, having the flu or having to take care of four people with the flu. Um, I'm sure she'd probably tell you it's much worse uh, being on the caretaking end. But um, thank you to Pastor Edmonds. Thank you for everyone who filled in. I know Pastor Timmy took probably a, a quarter of the church away last week to go to the convention. And uh, so we were, we were running on fumes a little bit, but we're very thankful for the people who stepped up and helped out and uh, thankful for you guys. And as we start this new year, um, I think it's really important that we take time to talk about something. Uh, and, and the topic of this month is prayer and fasting. Now, we always take time and we always mention it during uh, Easter as, as the Lent season comes in and as Easter's approaching. We always encourage our people to join with us as we pray and fast. But I don't know if it's something that maybe uh, you've heard about as a Christian. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's one of those things like you've heard talk about, it, but you've never done it before. And, and there's a lot of different reasons and ways that you can go about prayer and fasting. And we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. But today... I just kind of want to cover it from this perspective of uh, prayer and fasting for repentance. 
Now, it's tricky because we live in this day and time where uh, we live in New Testament life, where we can call on the name of Jesus Christ, we can ask Him to forgive us of our sins, and according to Scripture, forgiveness is available to anybody who calls on the name of Jesus. That's what we read in God's Word, that's what we believe, that's what our faith and our relationship with the Lord is completely based on. But the thing I want to talk to you about is, is because I think it goes great with that song and some of the words that Hannah shared earlier is that we just kind of get complacent sometimes. And sometimes we take things for granted. You know, it's really easy for us living today to just say, oh, Jesus, man, just forgive me for that. You know, to just say, you know, Jesus, forgive me. And it's not necessarily that maybe some of you are here this morning and you have this great sin in your life, this, this massive thing that if anyone found out about it, it would wreck you, it would wreck your family, or it would wreck your career, or anything like that. It could be something as simple as there just might be something in your life that you know is not supposed to be there. God has spoke to you about it. He's convicted you about it. And it's one of those things that you just you know that it's, you should deal with it, you should get rid of it in your life, or it's one of those things that you know God is leading you to do something, and you just haven't been doing it for whatever reason. And so there's the possibility of sin and rebellion being in our lives, whether it seems great or significant, or even if it seems small and insignificant, and then also the attitude upon which we come to our Heavenly Father and we seek out forgiveness or we seek out restoration or we seek out this this need for us to have this intimate, close relationship with Him because the truth is, as long as there's sin present in our lives, we can't have that intimate, close relationship with our Father. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why He sent Jesus Christ to give us the forgiveness of sin that we need so we could have the relationship with God that He wants us to have and the relationship with God that you and I desperately need. So let's talk about prayer and fasting today from a a repentance perspective. Let's read Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And this is a great passage. I mean, this is a passage specifically calling the people of God to repent. And look at what it says. This is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Who knows, perhaps He will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. I want to go back and focus on this word reprieve for a second. I don't know if you know that. I I don't have a very extensive vocabulary. I've confessed many times I'm not a good reader. I don't particularly enjoy reading. And so as I was looking this week, I said, I'm going to look up reprieve. I'm going to see exactly what that means. And what reprieve means is to cancel or postpone a punishment, especially for someone condemned to death. To cancel or postpone punishment, especially for someone condemned to death. And I think this is important as we talk about today. Because whether or not you're sitting here today, and there might be something in your life that you know, like, okay, I got something significant in my heart that I'm dealing with, I'm living with, that I really need to take care of. And you understand that it it is devastating in your relationship to the Lord. 
<laughs> it could be devastating to relationships around you. It could be devastating to your career. There could be something very significant in your life right now. And then there might be something that's not that significant. Like maybe there's something in your life where you know it's like, yeah, I know it's wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. The consequences of it doesn't seem that heavy. It doesn't seem like it's affecting me that much. It doesn't seem like it's affecting anyone around me. And really, a lot of people struggle with what I'm struggling with right now, and it seems very normal, even in the realm of Christianity. And I just want to challenge you guys to check the attitude of our hearts upon which we approach our Heavenly Father. Because we have to remind ourselves that even in the times where there's something in our life that, that we know is there and it shouldn't be there, or we know like we should grow in this area, we should do something about this, we should seek the Lord and, and, and give this area of our life to the Lord, that there's something in us that says, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. It's not that big. I can wait. I can do. And I want us to understand and remind ourselves constantly of what God's Word says about how sin grows. There's nothing in your life that's present right now that should not be there that is going to stay the way that it is. It is going to grow. It is going to multiply. It's going to expand. It's going to consume. It's going to eventually come to the point where it's going to have much more of an impact and much more of a cost than what you could have ever thought or imagined because that's how sin is. We have to remind ourselves of that. And this is why God calls us to repentance. So I challenge you this morning. It's 2024. It's the first week of the new year. We're about to finish up our first week of the new year. Do not go into this year with this lackadaisical attitude towards your Heavenly Father of, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a thing. You know, this can wait. This can take time. We'll deal with this thing later. Don't have that attitude. But come to your Father, come to your Savior in the way in which they deserve in humbling ourselves, getting ready to present ourselves to our Father, to our Savior in the way that they truly deserve. Because they were willing to give it all for you and I. And it will always come back to the condition of our heart upon which we're willing to give them. So point number one this morning. It's very important for us to see that time is of the essence. You know, it's no secret that we all live on a timeline. And it's a limited timeline. Every single one of us sitting here today have a limited amount of time that God has given us to live in this world. And the sad truth is, is there's some of us who are in this room right now who have a lot less time than others. Just practically speaking, right? Some of you young people in here, you, you may think or it may seem that you have a long time ahead of you, and I hope that you do. But the truth is, is that we're not promised. We don't get to see how long our timeline is. Like We can get a feeling for it, and we can kind of make some guesstimations, but we don't really know. We're living on borrowed time. And time is of the essence, and this is why God calls us to come to me now while there is still time. God constantly calls His people to repent and to come to Him in a sense of urgency. Because we think and we believe that we're just going to have more time, that we can just wait, we can put this thing off, we can handle it later. But the truth is, and you know this, how many of you have projects laying around your home who you said, I'll get to that one day, and you've never got to it yet? 
Wives, raise your hands for your husbands. So many things that you've said, I want to do this one day, and you've never gotten to it yet because stuff just keeps coming up, right? Maybe you don't have the money. Maybe you don't, like, There's all kinds of things that's going to come in, and you cannot neglect the fact that when it comes to sin, that the realization of that thing that's in your life can be put off for any amount of time because God communicates that sense of urgency regularly throughout His Word. He calls us to come to Him while there's still time. And I'm not a scholar. <coughs> I don't in any way claim to have some sort of privileged information as to what it means for us to have this allotted amount of time. But I do feel like I have a, probably about three things that I think could help you think about the, the limiting of our time and the limiting of what God wants to do in us and through us in this world. The first one is, is just going back and considering literally the amount of time that God has given you to even live. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says, Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but wicked are cut short. And that's just one passage, but there's so many other passages of Scripture that affirm this idea that if we serve the Lord and if we honor Him, if we live according to His Word and His laws and His ways, that the length of our lives can be longer. You know, you look at the Ten Commandments and to honor your father and mother so that the days of your life may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And you got to remember, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a 100% promise. It's one of the things we've been talking about in our Wednesday night Bible studies with Proverbs is that they're not guaranteed promises. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if you live for the Lord, you're going to live this long, good life, right? Because how many people can you count just from the New Testament who died very young because they believed in Christ? They gave their life in the name of Jesus. Jesus died a young death, living perfectly. You with me this morning? So it's not a guaranteed promise, but it's a principle. And, and, and realistically, if you look at the principle and you apply it to your life, more than likely you have a good chance of extending the days of your life by living according to God's Word. It says it over and over and over again. It's not a guarantee, but it's a very practical, applicable aspect of our life. <clears throat> so you need to understand today that just from a sinful perspective, if you're living in sin and you're not honoring God with your life, you could very well be shortening the days of your life. And you just need to know that. It's affirmed throughout Scripture constantly. You don't believe me? Look it up. There's more than just those two. The other thing you need to consider is the calling that God's placed on your life. You know, it's not just a matter of you being able to live and breathe and exist in this world, but to understand that God has put a calling on every single person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's put a calling on you. There are things that He has for you to accomplish inside of His kingdom, responsibilities, tasks that He has designed specifically for you. And we have to take a step back and, and, and contemplate and understand and realize 
It takes a long time for God to train us up and get us where we need to be in order to do the things that He's called us to do. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of growing. There's a lot of just experience. There's a lot of moments in life where we have to be faithful in in God's Word and in prayer and in times of fasting where we're seeking Him within our own abilities for God to shape us and mold us to do all the many things that God has called us to do. And you have a very limited amount of time in order to do those things. Every parent in this room, you have a very limited amount of time in order to influence your child. I cannot express the need for you in your life to make sure that you are serving the Lord and teaching and raising up your kids because there's going to come a day in time where they will not listen to you anymore. They will reject almost everything that you say. And so you better do it while you have the time. The ability, the, the circumstances, there's some of you right now who you're sitting there and you're wishing away this time, you're wishing away, man, I can't wait till I retire. I can't wait till I can sit at home. I can't wait till I can do this and this and this. And yet there are people that God has surrounded you by specifically in this moment and this time for you to witness and minister to on His behalf. And you have to be ready and prepared to do that. And we can't waste the time. And the third thing is, is to consider other people's timeline. You know, it's not just about your timeline. You know, like I said earlier, you only have so much time that you can influence your children, and then one day you're not going to be able to influence them anymore. There's only so much time. There's only so much time that you might be sitting here, and you may feel like you have the rest of your life, you have 60, 70, 80 more good years that you're going to get to live in this world and do your thing and do what you want to do, but perhaps it's someone who's sitting right near you or who's right down the road from you or somebody that you're acquainted with who does not have that same timeline that you have, and their time is very short, and it's about to be done. And we have to understand and remind ourselves that as long as we're living in our sin doing our thing, that we're cutting people short for what Christ has for them. You know, the only thing worse than going to hell is the possibility of us helping others to get there. And every day, every moment we go without addressing the sin and and, and the stuff in our life, We're contributing to that. Because you know there's something in you that knows God cannot use you to the full capacity upon which He created you as long as there's sin in your life, no matter how big or how small that sin is. Because the guilt is always there and and there will always be that feeling of unworthiness and shame and feeling like you, you, now you can't say anything because if you did, you know you'd be a hypocrite. And it just shuts us down. Time is very much of the essence. And we can't take it for granted. Point number two. The condition of our hearts is what counts. When you look at verse 12... 
God says for us to give him our hearts. You notice that God doesn't ask for anything else. He doesn't want anything else. In fact, he says, don't tear your clothing, but tear your hearts instead. And you have to look at this situation because what's going on is, is that God doesn't want you to put on this show. God doesn't want you to just like get out here when you talk about prayer and fasting and coming to this understanding of mourning and realizing their sin in your life. And then like you, you read these stories about people who tear their clothing and they put on sackcloth and they sit in piles of ashes and they, they weep and they mourn and they wail and all this stuff. And God's saying, look, I don't care if you do all that stuff. What I want is your hearts. Because the truth is, is that God knows that if he has your heart, he has everything else. And all the other stuff can be duplicated. It can be copied, mimicked. It can be faked. There's people like all of us in this room, everybody in this room, we can dress a certain way. We, we can pay our tithes and offerings. We can carry around our Bibles with us and we can, we can say our blessings and we can read a few passages of Scripture here and there, and we can put on the show, and we can make it look legit. And everybody else in the world might think, man, there's a really good Christian right there. But the truth is, is that God knows that anybody can fake it. Mourning, weeping, wailing, all this, this whole idea of stuff, it can be faked. And this is why God says, I don't want you to tear your clothes. I want you to tear your hearts. Your heart is what I want. You think about it today. There's some of you in here who you know that if someone, there, there's at least one person in your life that you love enough to where if they, sit, they come up to you and they said, hey, I need everything you have today. And you love them enough that you would give it to them, right? Like you would give them your house, your land, your car, your money, I mean, like anything. Like you, you would give it all right now for that one, two, or three people in your life that you love, that you care more than anything about. You give it right now because they have your heart. And God knows. It's not a matter of necessarily what you do. It's a matter of the condition of your heart. And He knows that if He has your heart, and you truly realize that there's sin in your life, and there's things that shouldn't be there, you are going to weep. You are going to well. You are going to mourn. You are going to be so distraught that you are going to just bend over in sickness and in pain, hoping and praying that God will remove the guilt and iniquity from your life. And that's the whole reason why God wants our heart. Because if He has our heart, He has all of us. There's nothing that we wouldn't be willing to give. He doesn't want the show. He wants our hearts. But you can't be confused because there's tons of passages where people do tear their clothing and they weep and wail and they sit in piles of ashes. And God does forgive them, but you need to understand that what's going on, on the outside is reflective of what's being done on the inside. And you have to be careful today that we're not faking this or that we're not fooled by other people who are faking it, but we understand that the attitude of our heart upon which we approach our Savior means everything. Point number three. God's nature is forgiveness. 
You know, it's, it's an amazing, ironic thing to think about the God of the heavens and earth, the one who's going to hold every single person accountable for their sins. He's so just and righteous, and everything about him will hold us accountable. And at the same time, he did everything possible to make sure that we had forgiveness of sin so that we wouldn't have to face that accountability. That's a really weird thing to think about. The fact that he made it available to every single person through his son, Jesus Christ, and anybody who rejects it is going to be held absolutely 100% accountable for their sins. It is a really weird thing to think about. And as you think about that forgiveness... I don't know if you've ever just sit around and thought, okay, exactly what can God forgive us of? Like, at what, like is there a cutoff? Is there, is there, like, at what extent can God forgive us? What could I have done in my life? Or you may be sitting here today and you may think, man, there's something there that there is no forgiveness for what I've done. And the truth is, is that there's, there's no limit. There's no limit to that forgiveness. And I love the passage I'm going to read to you because this is 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 25 through 29. This is pre-Christ. Okay, this is pre-Jesus. This is pre-Jesus, forgive me of my sins. This is hardcore Old Testament, God divvying out punishment, taking people's lives, holding people accountable in hardcore ways. And when you look at 1 Kings chapter 21, this is a message that God gave the prophet Elijah to give to King Ahab. If you don't know who King Ahab is, just follow with me. It says, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to be written about and the number one best-selling book of all time to be remembered for all of eternity, that's not the description that I would like written of me. But that's what you have about Ahab. No one else sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did. Verse 26, His worst outrage was worshiping idols just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. So he was doing... Exactly what the people were doing before that God had driven out to give the land to them. Now read verse 27 with me. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, he dressed in burlap and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. And guys, you need to understand something in this. There's two things. Number one, God is very willing to forgive even the most crooked and evil people. 
No one in all of Israel had sold themselves to evil like Ahab did. And yet, when God confronted him with the message of the judgment was coming, and when he repented, and he truly showed his heart. Now, he did the, the weeping, and he tore his clothing, and he put on the sackcloth, and he did all that stuff, but his heart was genuine. And when God saw that, God was willing to forgive him. And now some of you may say, well, yeah, but... I mean, he still destroyed his dynasty, and look at what he did to his children. It's like, no, you, you, you have to remember something here this morning. You remember we talked earlier about you know, the sin that's in our life? And we may think that it's not affecting anyone, and we may think it's not a big deal, and we may think that it's, it's just ours and it's what we do, but you need to remind yourself today that everything that you do, everything that I do, is going to affect the people around us much more significantly than we can ever dream of. And when you think about Ahab and the wickedness that he participated in, what do you think that his, his children grew up watching his mother and father do? They watched Ahab and Jezebel sacrifice the idols, sacrifice their own children to certain idols, kill all the prophets of God, fight and battle and, and kill anybody who would not claim to be a follower of the Lord. Tried to exterminate the entire group of people who still were faithful to the Lord. And that's what his children saw. And so while Ahab may have reached a point in his life where he was ready to repent, his children never did. And you need to understand today that the sins that you're committing in your life, the sins that you're hanging on to, are affecting your children, your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, the people around you in ways that you could never dream of. And it will have an impact on their life for eternity. And when you look at this story, the consequences of Ahab's sin had become so significant. It had gone on so long that it eventually brought the destruction of his children, his own family, his own dynasty. Yeah, God forgave him, but when his children weren't willing to repent, then he carried out the destruction on his children. And we have to understand that sin has a huge price. And it always comes due. It's like bad credit card debt. It's one of those things, it's like when you get in it, it's, like to pay, it's almost impossible to get rid of. And it always comes knocking and it always comes expecting you to pay. Point number four. There is a good chance for restoration. You know, when you look at Ahab, I mean, he sold himself to wickedness like no one else in history. But if you realize the sin that's in your life, and if you're willing to acknowledge it, and if you're willing to repent of it in a timely manner, the, the less time you take to repent of it is the less time it takes for that sin to do the damage that it's going to do. To continue damaging your life and your relationships and the people around you. And I love the story of Jonah. You look at Jonah chapter 3 verses 5 through 6. Great story about repentance. Great story about prayer and fasting. And it says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Skip to verse 10. 
when God saw that they had what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. That's the amazing thing about God is that he's very willing to forgive. He's very willing to forgive. In fact, if you go back and you study the book, the story of Jonah, and you read some books and you look at some different stuff about it, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh specifically because he knew that God would forgive them if they turned away from their sin. And Jonah didn't want them to be forgiven. Now, what kind of story is that? What kind of person of God does not want someone else to be forgiven? It was prophesied that in the future, the people of Nineveh would be responsible for punishing Israel and leading the first few tribes into exile. And Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, eventually comes and takes over Israel and takes them into exile. How fitting is it that God takes a nation of people who was wicked that he was ready to destroy and whenever they repented and they tore their clothes and they put on the sackcloth and they sat in ashes, they changed their life. They changed everything that they could about their life in that moment to show God how much they were sorry for what they had done and they were willing to change And God used those people to punish his own people who knew God's word, who knew how they should live, and yet they were the ones who refused to repent, and they refused to change, and they refused to humble themselves before the Lord. And so as we talk this morning, guys, I just want to encourage you, if there's anything in your life today that you know that shouldn't be there, don't wait. Don't drag it out. Don't put it off. Time is of the essence. Your heart is the most important thing to God. And if God has your heart, He has all of you. And you know that. You know what you love. You know what you'd be willing to give everything for. And that's the reason why God wants our hearts, because He wants people who realize the price that He paid for them on that cross the forgiveness that He offers every day so freely. And He knows that if He has our hearts, He has everything else about us. And if we really had our hearts to God when we sinned, when there was something in our lives that shouldn't be there, we would be tearing our clothes. We would be weeping and mourning because we would understand how significant it is and how much we are damaging the kingdom of God by allowing that sin to stay in our life for one second longer. I challenge you today, if there's anything in your life, get rid of it. Seek the Lord. Maybe it's a perfect time for you to spend some time over the next few days, maybe even weeks, to just pray and to fast And to just concentrate on living for the Lord and getting rid of some of the junk that's in our life that we know should not be there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for another beautiful day, another wonderful time to read your word and apply it to our life. Father, I ask that you would touch our hearts, that you would help us to live for you and serve you. 
And Lord, I pray that we would come before you in a way that just displays the love and the gratitude we have for what your son did for us on Calvary. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to overcome these things, to pour out ourselves before you so that we can be filled with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we ask it all in your name. Amen.